If you would like, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 15 again. And we're going to look at a single verse there in just a moment. We're actually going to look at a number of verses tonight, but we're going to look at that one in particular. At the risk of chasing a rabbit that may displace the message I had planned, um, I'd just like to make a comment or two about what we studied this morning. I don't know of any greater truth that helps us best understand the good news, the gospel, as God intends for us to understand it, than the truth that Christ lives in you. And knowing that, Anything that comes, anything that happens, any situation that you find yourself in, you have a supernatural ability to meet that situation. And resting in Christ, looking to Christ, drawing near to Christ, you're able to meet that situation with all the resources in Jesus. I don't know a greater truth than that in the Scripture. When Paul summed it up in Colossians, he said it's this. He said it's Christ in you. This is the mystery of the ages. He said it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think that, that not only our church, but many of the churches in our country are at a crossroads. What kind of church will we be? Will we be a church where we do our best and apply ourselves and plan and plot and push and pull and and that's just the individual trying to get through the week and then when we come together as a church we bring the way we've lived all week long and we apply the same methodology we've used all week long to every problem we faced and we approach church situations the same way. What do you think you're going to get? What I want to do on Sunday nights as we go through this series on Sunday morning is take our focus on Sunday morning and on Sunday night bring it and apply it to us as a whole. How does this truth about the individual that we're studying on Sunday morning affect us as a group of disciples? So tentatively, more or less, we're calling the series on Sunday morning, Christ in You, 
which is lifted right out of the language that Paul uses in Colossians 1, Christ in you. And, and what we're going to do on Sunday night is we're going to call it Christ through us. Because I think it's the supernatural dimension that we're missing. We've seen what we can do in our own efforts. And we haven't learned to quit. We just keep doing it again and again and again the same way. When we have all the resources of heaven available to us as individuals and as a church, I really want us to pause and say, Lord, would you make this real to me? Would you make this real to my heart? Lord, I need it. Not just on Sunday and whatever happens at church, I need it tomorrow morning. I need it Wednesday, I need it Friday. How am I going to meet the pressures that I'm facing right now in my life? Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful to you for the privilege we have to gather like this tonight. I believe that every single person here is here because of your purpose. It is not an accident. And so, Father, as we look into your word this evening, I'm looking to you to speak through me. And I'm looking to you to speak to your people. And Father, I know that there's a man here, there's a woman here, there's a young person here, and you have brought them here because you want to say exactly to them tonight what they are needing in their soul. Father, we are weary of human-powered living. We are tired of trying to produce in us what only can be produced by you. Forgive us for ignoring your presence in our lives. And tonight, would you enable us to see not just our relationship with you, but our relationship with one another in an entirely new way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Calling tonight's message, Branches in the Vine. And if we look at John 15, verse 5, we're looking again at the statement that we included this morning in our study. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus again, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so I want us to take that concept and step back from looking at it as an individual. I want us to look at it as a church, as a group of disciples. This morning we talked about Paul's use of the phrase, in Christ. And I commented in passing that he used that phrase, in Christ, 160 times, over 160 times in his letters. And Jesus drew a picture of what it's like to be a disciple, uh, how the disciple lives his or her life. Jesus drew that picture with the vine and the branches. And we're going to go deeper with that. 
But Paul also drew a picture. He drew more than one to describe what it's like when you get a group of people who are branches in the vine, when you get them all together, and we call it church, how, how that looks. What is a picture that, that describes us? Well, there are at least three. There's more than three, but there's at least three that he comes up with and that he talks about in Scripture. The first one is that we are a field. He describes us in Wynn Baptist Church as a field. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says, you are God's field. And so in that sense, God gives spiritual life, and he grows believers. We are his field, and he is growing us. And much like the analogy of a single vine and a branch that produces fruit, he looks at the whole church and says, this is a whole field. And he provides what that field needs for it to have life, a field. He refers to us collectively, secondly, as a building. If he was drawing another picture, he'd draw a picture of some kind of a building. He says, you are God's field. And also in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, right after that, he says, God's building. And so here's one picture, a field, and then there's another picture of a building. So God assembles believers into a dwelling for his presence. And if you go back and see how Paul used that picture of a building, that's exactly what he's describing. We individually are temples of the Spirit of God, but collectively we are a temple. And then the third picture he draws, and the one he used over 30 times in the Scripture, is of a body. The saying that God lives in and through believers individually and corporately. Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and again in verses 26 and 27, he says something to us about this particular picture, and it's probably Paul's favorite picture of the church. He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but many, just stressing this picture. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it, and then he immediately turns to us and says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And so as a part of the body of Christ, you are connected to every other part, Paul is saying. And what one member is experiencing, you are a participant in what they're experiencing. You remember the picture that Jesus drew in John 15. He's the vine and we are the branches. And each of us is connected to him. And, and all of us are one with him. So this picture that Jesus gave us this morning of this union with him, and I'm a branch that draws life from that relationship. And ultimately I produce fruit by drawing life from that relationship. What does it look like when a group of people like that get together? What does it look like? Well, I want us now to consider something that I actually taught here in 2013. So it was four years ago this past summer. Some of you will remember it. Uh, the result of what it looks like when you get a group of people tied into Jesus all together in one place, we're going to use the word I used then four years ago to call it reciprocal living. Now in math, we talk about reciprocals, things, uh, but in relationships, when we say something is reciprocal, we're describing something I do for you and you do for me. Reciprocal living. 
it's not just give and take. It's something that I'm doing for you and then you are doing for me. Now, these one another commands uh, that, that are all throughout the New Testament, but particularly in the writings of Paul, these one another commands can be negative or positive. These are things we do for one another. This phrase shows up again and again and again and again when it talks about the church. Uh, they can be negative, negative one another commands. Let me give you a few. Judging one another. Biting one another. Devouring one another. Destroying one another. Provoking one another. Envying one another. Lying to one another. Hating one another. Slandering one another. Grumbling against one another. So these reciprocal commands, they can be negative. I can do these things for you, <laughs> and you can do these things for me. Amen? No, we don't want to do those things. They can also be positive. And here's some of the positive one another commands. These are just a few. Honoring one another. When we studied that four years ago, honoring one another meant to establish someone's value, to add value, to say that they have value. Honoring one another, edifying one another, building each other up, instructing one another, greeting one another with a holy kiss, caring for one another, serving one another, carrying one another's burdens, bearing with one another. You can't do these things by yourself, can you? Being kind to one another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, offering hospitality to one another. And the point is, I think is really clear, is you can't, you can't do these things at a distance. You can only do these things in proximity with one another. Now, you said, Pastor, that is a lot of one another commands. And dear one, I didn't even read all of them. There are many more than these. And they're repeated sometimes, more than once. And so, how can we make this easy? How can we make this easy to understand? You've got a group of people linked into Jesus. When they come together, they're supposed to do all these things for one another. How do I do these things, respect the truth of what we taught this morning about a supernatural connection to Jesus? How do I do these things? How do I remember to do all these things? Do I have to memorize all these scriptures, all these one another commands, and do I memorize all of them and then go out and try to do them? That's exactly the way that Jesus is telling us this morning not to live. He's saying, I want you to live by drawing life from me. And so there has to be an easier way. I want to call your attention now to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. This is reciprocal living made easy. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what he says, and listen carefully. For as we have many members in one body... He's talking about your body, your body and my body. If I look at it, think about my body, you have many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Well, right away I see that he's talking again about union with Christ. We, being many, are one body in Christ. We have a oneness with him. We said this morning, this is the key to understanding salvation. God doesn't give you anything in salvation, any blessing apart from your union with Christ. 
Everything that God's going to give you, he's given you in Christ. And when you were saved, he united you with Christ. Our union with Christ, key to salvation. It's also the source of our intimacy with Jesus. I don't know what your habit is. Some of you I know. But when I'm hurting, tired, not feeling well, confused, full of questions, weary, not knowing what to do next, hurt. You ever feel those things? The most precious thing that happens in my life is when I go alone to be still with Jesus and to unburden my soul and to know he hears me to know that as my Lord, he's going to take care of me. And that I truly have nothing to worry about. I believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven and we see him, we really are going to discover that we had nothing to worry about. And my union with Christ and your union with Christ gives you that open door into his presence. We also find that he, in our union with him, he is our link to the head. Being many, we are one body in Christ, but who is he? He's the head. And through that relationship, through him as my head, and we can develop this later. We could look at the book of Ephesians. We could look at some other passages. I can receive from him everything I need for life from the head. And, and that includes direction. That includes physical strength. That includes refreshing for my soul. That includes everything I need for life I can get from the head. And all of us are connected to the head. That's what makes us the body of Christ. My favorite quotation I came across about 20 years ago. Augustus Strong was a Baptist theologian, wrote a, one of the early Baptist systematic theologies. In the course of it, he's got a whole section in his, in his book on, on union with Christ. And uh, it was so significant that they took it, they ex exerted it, they took that portion of his systematic theology, they took it out of the, the big book he wrote, and they published a smaller version of it called Union with Christ. And in that book, it says this, Christ and the believer have the same life. They are not separate persons linked together by some temporary bond of friendship. They are united by a tie as close and indissoluble as if the same blood ran in their veins. 
Man, I love that. But that's the truth. Now, with that understanding of our union with Christ, let's go back now to Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. Let's read that again, because something surprising here happens. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, the church, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's that one another statement. Individually members of one another. Now, I don't know about you, but that last phrase is something of a surprise. Now, Jesus implies this in John 15, that we are somehow not just connected to the vine as a branch, but I have a relationship with the other branches because of that, because I'm tied into Jesus. There's some relationship I have with the other branches. Paul just comes out and says it. He says, if you're connected to Christ, if you're one body in Christ, you are not only a member of Christ, which is what I expect him to say in verse 5, he says, you're a member of every other member of the body of Christ. You're a part of them. We're linked to each other. So how does this make reciprocal living easy? Well, if I'm connected to Jesus, then I'm also connected to you. And if I am connected to you, then whatever I do to you, I do to me. Whatever you do to me, you do to yourself. And if that's all I understood was this verse, I could figure out all the one another commands. You wouldn't have to tell me which ones were negative, which ones were positive. I think I could figure them out, couldn't you? Don't hit one another. Because if I hit you, I'm hitting myself. Um, let me give you an example from the Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, you can just listen to this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. And then he tells you why. For we are all members of one body. You see how he uses are connected to one another, to Jesus, to argue that particular statement? He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors, for we are all members of one body. So he, he talks to us about putting away lying, speaking the truth always. Why? Because we're members of one another. If I lie to you, I'm lying to myself. Whatever I do to you, I'm doing to me. Now what happens if we don't live that way? What happens if I just come bouncing in here into this fellowship and I'm not thinking like this. I'm not, I'm not supernatural. I'm just sort of doing my own thing. Then, uh, then I, don't, I don't have that sense of connectedness to you, do I? I don't have a sense that, that we are family. That the first thing that I need to, to think about in my relationship to you is that you are part of me. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are part of me. And if that's not on my radar screen, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. When we forget that we're members of one another, the first thing that will happen, you see this in a lot of churches, we will fight continuously. We will fight continuously. James says it in James chapter 4, verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Where does this come from? Do they not, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? He talks about people who, who aren't thinking or feeling or recognizing that they're connected. It's just about me and what I want. 
We will fight continuously. Second thing that will happen, we will divide endlessly. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Whose mind do you think that is? The pastor's mind? No. Some key influencer's mind in the church? No. Maybe a smaller group that tries to pull the strings, control everything? That same mind? No. There's only one mind that we're supposed to be a part of, isn't it? Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says that we have the mind of Christ. And so our goal as we work through any kind of difference or problem or difficulty is to get to the mind of Christ. What would please him? What does he want? Last thing that will happen if we forget that we're members of one another, I like this, is we will smell badly. And... uh, of course, it is figurative. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But when we are doing all that other stuff, we're not the fragrance of Christ. And, um, and so we don't want to forget that. Well, let me, let, me, um, let me share with you now seven things. And I'm just going to mention each one, and then um, I'm going to close with this. I want, to, I want to rethink with you for just a moment our Bible study groups. And I don't know um, if you'll understand why I'm doing this right away. But what happens in here on Sunday morning and even on Sunday night falls way short of what the Father wants to do with us. Worship is clearly a purpose of the church in Scripture. But there are other purposes, other things that are supposed to happen, like the one another commands. And I can slip in here and slip out and never do one of the one another commands. I can do it. One of the reasons, one of the great reasons why we have Bible study groups is so that we have a way of taking this congregation and breaking it down into groups of people who interact with one another. And dear ones, that is where church happens. If all you ever do is come here, sit, and leave, you are not getting the whole enchilada spiritually he has so much more for you and it's in the context of a group of people that you do life with in a group and we have bible study groups on sunday morning we have two four two groups uh, we have some other groups that meet during the week groups of men or, or or groups of women that that either are doing bible study or they're doing bible study and praying together or they're just praying together but they're groups 
And if you're not in a group, I want to encourage you to get yourself in one. Because there are certain aspects to your growth in Christ that are not going to happen without other Christians in your life. So rethinking our Bible study groups, here are just some, some things that came to mind as I, as I looked at this again and thought about how to apply this morning to tonight. Rethinking our Bible study groups, number one. These are just thoughts. They're not in any particular order. Uh, number one, you were not made to do life alone. The church is God's idea. Every now and then I'll meet someone who says, I don't need church. I know Jesus. I trusted him. I, I, don't, I don't have to be plugged into a church. I don't have to be plugged into a small group. Um, I can go out in my boat and meet with God. I can go out in the woods and meet with God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. Listen, you need the church. There are things you cannot do that God has commanded you to do without church. There are things that people are going to do to you and for you in church that can only happen if you're up close to them, if you're in proximity to them. It was his idea. It's not just a man-made invention. Yeah, there's institutional church. Yes, there's an organization called the church. Yes, there's business. Yes, there's offerings and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. It was his idea. Number two. We cannot minister Christ's life to one another or together from a distance. We can only do that up close. And we need our groups for that. Number three, groups are our primary strategy for evangelism and discipleship. Now think about that. Pastor, I'm not sure that's right. Well, think about it. How do most people get connected to this church? Through the worship center? Be careful. I got numbers. The 43 people, adults that have joined this church since January of last year, in the last year and a half, 43 adults that have joined, not counting the last couple of weeks. 37 of them came through some connection to a Bible study group. And they're still involved in those groups. 37 out of 43. I'm saying to you that our Bible study groups are our primary strategy for doing evangelism and discipleship at Wind Baptist Church. It's not what we do in Sunday morning. Do I share the gospel? Yes. Do I preach the word? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit come and work among us? Yes. Um... But I tell you right now, most of the people that come down here and make a profession of faith, they didn't do it here. They didn't do it in the worship service. The vast majority of the people that did it, they did it through connection with other believers in some kind of group setting. At least that's what we're seeing right now at Wind Baptist Church. Number four, another observation. Living as members of one another, as a body, as an organism, as an organism, is very different from living as members of an organization. If you see the church primarily as an organization, you are going to miss the richness of what God's Word says we really are. We're an organism. So how is that different from an organization? Well, in a body, he, he told us, we've read it in a couple different passages, a body, the parts of that body, 
are different, but they're de- interdependent on one another. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the ear, I don't need you. They're interdependent. And so other disciples need you. That little speech I give when people join the church, you know how they're going to change our church, but we're going to change them. Other disciples need you. They need your giftedness. They need your, who you are, the way you're wired, the things you're learning about God. I remember um, in one church that I was in, we, I began teaching a whole new approach to how to do that, that Sunday morning time spent together. And, and I began teaching our teachers to break their big classes up into, into small groups. In other words, take their big group of 20, 30 people and break them up into small groups and have them spend some time in each class discussing some questions together. Because what happens is, is sometimes we get into a teaching setting and as a teacher, I'm the only one that the class hears from. But the Bible says that, other, that we need all of us, other disciples. They need me, but they need the other disciples in the room as well. I remember one time we had a group and uh, there were like three couples broken over. We took our class, broke them up a little, turn, had them turn their chairs together, and there's a group of four or six over here, four or six over here, four to six over here, four to six over there. And I gave them some questions to talk about as part of our study time. This group was over here, they were talking, and um, they were all Cajuns, which was great. Go Tigers. <laughs> um, I mention that because a lot of them come from other church backgrounds. And when they came to Christ, they came all in, all in. This one guy was talking over there. He had never shared his faith with anybody in his life. He had never shared his faith with anybody in his life. He hadn't been a Christian all that long. And he's sitting there talking. And he says, he says yeah, I grew up, in answering the question, he says, yeah, I grew up in another church. And, uh, and then I came to know Jesus. And, and my life changed. He just sort of said that in passing. After the class, another man was sitting there in that group. He didn't know that man. That man was lost. That man was not a Christian. That man grew up in the same church that this other guy grew up in. And he corners him after class. He goes up to him and he, and he says, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, you, you said that you grew up in this particular church and that you were not a Christian. He said, I grew up in that church. He said, and then it says, then you said that you came to know Christ. What did you mean by that? And suddenly this guy who had never shared his faith before was stumbling through his testimony, sharing the gospel with a guy that he, he had sat knee to knee with in a, in a small conversation. Other disciples need you, and you need those other disciples. That interdependence is real. We are members of an organism, not just an organization. And God wants to work through each of us. No individual Christian can function in isolation. Number five, differences are an asset in the church, not a hindrance. Differences are an asset in the church, not a hindrance. I tell you what, the world would benefit a lot if they thought thought this way, wouldn't they? Most of the world sees differences as scary. You don't have to go any further than Charlottesville or, or some of the places where there's racial violence and 
and, um, or, or watch political debate on the television, oh, please don't do that. And, and watch that kind of stuff. You don't have to go very far to see that if you don't agree with me, that scares me to death. And that's the attitude of our culture. We're threatened by our differences. And yet the Bible says our differences are a good thing in the church. Because God made each of us differently and uniquely. And so that we would have a place in the body that was vital and important to the rest of the church. There's nobody here that is unimportant and of no value to this church. Absolutely not true. You are needed. You are valuable. You are important. And God put you here. You are an asset. You are not a hindrance. Number six. We are not called to create unity, but to protect it. You say, why is that, Pastor? We need unity. Well, if, if I'm in union with Christ, and you're in union with Christ, and we're all in union with Christ, we already have an organic unity, don't we? We already have a unity. I may not agree with you, you may not agree with me, but we're already unified <laughs> in Jesus. So what we're talking about is how do I get to the experience of unity? And I'll say a word about that in a, more, in a moment. We are not called to create unity, but to protect it. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep, not create. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make the effort to keep it. You already got it. You don't want to lose it. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Number seven, our experience of unity, it's a fact, but our experience of unity is directly related to our individual communion with Christ. In other words, how much unity are we going to experience if individually I'm not walking with Jesus? In other words, if I want to get closer to you or you or you or you and we're going to have unity, guess where, I, where it starts? It starts with me getting closer to him. If you want to work on the unity of a church, start with your relationship with Christ. And the, the closer you and I draw to him, I mean, if I, put, if I put Dustin down here and said he was Jesus, wouldn't that be glorious? If I put Dustin down here and said he was Jesus, now everybody get close to Jesus. As we all got closer to Jesus, what would happen to you and me? We couldn't help it. We'd be getting closer to each other. And so if I want to experience unity, the best way to experience unity is for me to go deep with Jesus. And the deeper I go with him, the deeper you go with him, the closer we get to one another. And we can experience it. Bottom line is my commitment to you because of my relationship to Christ must override my commitment to my personal perspective or my agenda. People come first. Nothing else really comes second. Do you sense the bond that you share with all Christians? Is that real to you? Uh, about 20 years ago, I remember uh, I went through a season. Lord really awakened my heart to persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. 
people whose families are being ripped apart, people who have all the things taken away from them, people who are beaten and, and maimed and all kinds of unspeakable things because they love Jesus. I remember times it just ripped my heart out. I'm a pastor. It is, it is, it is hard when you visit people who are sick and hurting all the time. There's a couple different ways to handle it. You can kind of develop a, a kind of a professional uh, distance from other people's pain because compassion fatigue is a real phenomenon and you can, you can just burn out dealing with so many hurting people. And you can say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to respond appropriately to people and then you know, in one moment, I may be dealing with somebody who's gotten a diagnosis of cancer and they're not going to live very long. And next moment, I'm talking to somebody who, who just found out they're going to uh, uh, adopt a baby. And so you have great sadness and sorrow and great joy. And, and so as a, as a minister, this is true of anybody here, as a minister, you find yourself going from one situation to another. And how do you handle these incredible swings? Well, one option is to just sort of insulate yourself from it, just... Over here, I'm sorry, you know, and I pray for you. And then over here, hey, that's great. But you're not really entering into those experiences, I believe, the way that, that Christ calls us to. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to weep with those who weep. And God save us from um, building those kinds of walls between one another. So yeah, I may weep when I hear a story about somebody persecuted overseas. Hebrews 13, it says, remember the prisoners as if you were chained with them. Did you know that's also true of what happens to one another? I hear about something happening to somebody in the church. It ought to bother me. They're part of me. Do you sense that bond? with other believers they're part of you would you join me tonight maybe just asking the Lord Lord would you help us understand how real this is how very much we are connected to one another no matter what our differences that's really our strength by the way our differences but despite our differences we're going to still put the relationship in the front seat because that's what pleases you Lord and and Lord, would you make that real, that understanding? If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, it would be my pleasure, myself and some other pastors will be standing here, it would be my pleasure to introduce you to Jesus Christ, to share with you how you could come in here tonight not knowing God, uh, feeling the weight of all the brokenness in your life and all the damage you've caused by your sin or, or the sin of others being done to you. I, I would invite you to come. And tonight, you can experience forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and you can experience a new life. And it would be my pleasure to help you do that. As we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you to come. Brothers and sisters, we're here to pray with you. The altar's open. As God has spoken to you, how will you respond to him?